0: hello everybody i'm sean and welcome back to the croc time podcast delivering weekly updates on markets and geopolitics providing you with valuable insights and unique perspectives on events and trends shaping the world in today's episode we will go over three recent news events providing a bit more of an overview and details on the different situations we will talk about the protests of indian farmers the popularity of the Dominican Republic's president, and the Philippines' energy and political situation. Ready? Great! So let's cut to the chase and start off with the Indian farmers' protest. Agriculture employs two-thirds of all Indians, especially in the northern regions within the flat plains of the Ganges River. Given their outright size, Indian farmers can make or break elections. Three years ago, farmers marched on Delhi, India's capital city, and forced Prime Minister Narendra Modi and his Bharataya Janata Party, also called BJP, to repeal a big set of reforms intended to deregulate India's agricultural market. Mr Modi, who has governed very successfully since 2014, suffered one of his few political defeats at the hands of Indian farmers. In February 2024, groups of farmers decided to protest again against the government. However, Mr Modi is facing important elections in May of this year. Although he will easily cruise to victory, partly because of a fractured opposition and successful policies, Indian farmers could threaten a smooth election. But to understand the farmers' protest, we first have to look into India's strange food policies. In fact, one of the government's main goals is to provide enough cheap food to a population that is still mostly poor. The state spends $28.4 billion annually for free food, namely wheat and rice. Up to 800 million people could receive this benefit, which represents one of the biggest expenses of the government. Even though Modi likes to take credit for this extensive subsidy, it was actually started by his predecessor. Anyway, the government is therefore an important customer for Indian farmers. Wheat and rice distributed by the government is procured mostly from India's northern states such as Punjab, Haryana and Uttar Pradesh, just to name a few. Farmers sell their produce mostly through brokers in highly-regulated wholesale markets known as Mandis. The system is supposed to ensure that farmers receive guaranteed minimum prices for their produce. However, the entire system is confronted with a few internal challenges. Price fixing, a lack of transparency and collusion among traders greatly affect the market. In addition, government export bans and stockpiling limits also influence its efficiency. Back in 2021, Modi wanted to completely liberalize the market by allowing farmers more of a say over how to sell their products, who to sell them to, and in building stockpiles to take advantage of price fluctuations. But farmers didn't really like this. In fact, they would have lost a range of subsidies and price guarantees if the system were reformed. It would have also meant more competition and lower prices. In 2021, Modi shelved the reform package and made a few promises to Indian farmers. But on February 11th, 2024, farmers from Punjab and Haryana, two states close to Delhi, decided to march to the capital. They claim that Modi has not kept his word on the promises he made years ago. Farmers also want higher prices for other products, not just rice and wheat, in addition to higher minimum wages and stronger pensions. The farmers' demands would raise food prices for 23 crops by at least 25%. But the government has learned from 2021 and is looking to not lose control of the situation. They have clearly stated that they will not meet the farmers' main demands. The government also blocked social media accounts of farm leaders and turned off the internet across parts of Punjab and Haryana. Police have forcefully confronted farmers with barricades and tear gas to disperse the rallies. A lack of unity among farmers is also helping the government. Farmers from Uttar Pradesh tried to rally to the cause, but the plan failed miserably. Throughout the world, farmers are making strong demands to their governments, and India, with its 1.4 billion people to feed, is no different. While farmers are having much more success across Europe, the protests in India don't pose any serious threat for the government. The dissatisfaction they reflect is likely to persist, but Modi's image is too strong to dent. Indian farmers are planning another protest in Delhi later in March, and will likely remain a headache for the government going into the elections. Moving on to the next topic, let's analyze the popularity of the Dominican Republic's president, Luis Abinader. Luis Abinader is a rare thing in Latin America. He is a popular president who enjoys a 70% approval rating. He will most definitely cruise to victory in the elections in May of this year and is currently enjoying a 25% lead over his nearest competitor. He took office in August of 2020 as a former executive in the tourism industry and has enjoyed some of the highest popularity ratings in the world. So why is he so popular? It seems there are several reasons. The first one is related to economic growth. The country has seen strong growth following the pandemic. GDP grew 5% in 2023. The IMF has ranked it as the country in Latin America where living standards are increasing most rapidly. While this is excellent news, I'm pretty sure that Guyana is the country with the strongest growth in the region, driven by its oil boom. The second reason concerns Abinader's balanced approach to politics, leveraging the left-right divide. In fact, his pro-business policies are also accompanied by strong social programs and an emphasis on government transparency, a rare feature in Latin American politics. What people really value is the economic stability that he has achieved so far during his presidency. The country's tourism industry emerged stronger than ever from the pandemic due to a strong rollout of vaccines compared to peers, and no requirements from tourists to come with proof of vaccination. Another factor that explains his success and popularity is the tough stance on Haiti and immigration. The Dominican Republic shares the island of Hispaniola with Haiti, a crisis-torn country experiencing one of the worst humanitarian catastrophes in the world with a non-existent government. As Haiti further falls into the abyss, Abinader has started construction of a controversial border wall over half of the shared border. His tough policies have resonated positively with the people, even though some humanitarian groups have criticized them. Some of his policies include shutting down the country's border for almost a month, suspending the issuance of visas to Haitian nationals, and cracking down on illegal immigration and gang violence that have spread from Haiti. However, the factor that has made Abinader truly stand out is a strong fight against corruption. Previous presidents have been involved in numerous corruption scandals, such as the Brazilian-based Odebrecht scandal and the Panama Papers. The country saw very large protests against corruption in 2017, that completely changed its political scene. Abinader has made fighting corruption a central part of his agenda. While this is not new in South America, as every new leader promises to fight corruption, Abinader has accomplished a lot in the last four years. Many corruption investigations have been done under his watch, and many high-ranking officials have been jailed, such as the former finance minister, and former Attorney General. Prosecutors have been empowered, and the President has given them stronger tools to tackle corruption. He wants to entrench the independence of the Public Prosecutor's Office through a constitutional amendment, but he doesn't have a supermajority in the legislature, so it hasn't passed yet. Even though the three opposition parties are teaming up to confront Abinader in the May elections just around the corner, Abinader's popularity and strong performance will certainly propel him to victory. The final topic for today concerns the Philippines and in particular its energy and political situation. The disputed South China Sea is rich with oil and gas. But a recent report highlighted how the Philippines is exploring alternative oil and gas areas due to increasing tensions with China in the South China Sea. The Filipino energy undersecretary told Bloomberg that the Sulu Sea is emerging as a new exploration hotspot. They have already hired a unit of Israeli firm Ratio Petroleum to conduct 3D seismic surveys in the area. From a geographical point of view, the Sulu Sea is almost entirely in Filipino territory, apart from a small section from Malaysia, ensuring China cannot create tensions. Southeast Asia's energy reserves have fallen dramatically in recent decades, but in the last few years, things have changed. In fact, big discoveries in Indonesia and Malaysia have led to a renewed resurgence in the sector, along with strong interest from big international oil companies. For example, Indonesia has discovered large gas deposits in the Makassar Strait and the Southern Andaman Sea. Papua New Guinea is also emerging as a strong liquefied natural gas player in the region. What is really interesting is that the discoveries have not been made in the South China Sea. The Philippines doesn't want to be left behind and is looking to follow their lead. In fact, one of the biggest challenges for the Philippines is its energy supply. The country's rapid economic growth and population needs more and more energy. The rich Malampaya gas field which heavily supported domestic gas consumption, is expected to run dry within five years. The Reed Bank natural gas project is stalled because of Chinese interference in the South China Sea. The country is reliant on coal for 60% of its energy needs, mainly sourced from Indonesia and Australia. One of the few solutions the Philippines has proposed is aggressively investing in renewable energy. Between now and 2030, it is expecting a 15-fold boost in solar and wind power, surpassing Vietnam, which until now has been the renewable energy leader in the region. While these goals do seem a bit far-fetched, they are admirable. In addition to renewable energy, the government wants to liberalize the energy sector and allow foreign companies to enter and invest. This leads us on to the Philippines' current political situation. Tensions between the country's president, Marcos Jr., and the powerful Duterte family have increased markedly in recent months. Both Marcos Jr. and Rodrigo Duterte the previous president of the country, have accused each other of being drug addicts. Strangely enough, the two families were, and kinda still are, allies. Just a few years ago, Marcos Jr won the presidency with Sara Duterte as vice president. In fact, Sara Duterte is the daughter of Rodrigo. Sebastian Duterte, the son of Rodrigo, is the current mayor of Davao, the capital city of the southern island of Mindanao. He has recently called for Marcos Jr. to resign from office. Rodrigo went even further and is openly inciting rebellion. He has called for the secession of his home island of Mindanao from the rest of the Philippines he also publicly threatened to depose Marcos Jr. to a popular revolt. However, what is even more interesting and surprising in all of this is Sara Duterte's neutrality and silence. She seems to have a different set of alliances compared to her family, and has distanced herself considerably from her father. The vice president, Sara, appears to be politically aligned with Marcos Jr., although she publicly rails against the House Speaker, who is Marcos's cousin and ally. The Duterte family seems desperate, as their influence wanes and Sara's popularity increases. The Duterte family is also increasingly worried for a potential arrest warrant in the next few months for Rodrigo because of the ICC drug war investigation. Even though the Philippines is not cooperating with the ICC on the matter, Sara hasn't publicly supported her family. While Marcos and Duterte's marriage of convenience from the 2022 election continues, this delicate balance is harder to maintain as the family feud gets harsher. Even though both Marcos Jr. and Sarah remain hugely popular, the saga clearly highlights the slow downfall of the Duterte family who are mostly fighting a hopeless and erratic political war from a weakened position. Rodrigo's pro-China policies and view are allowing Marcos to marginalize the once powerful man. The vice president is definitely gearing up for the 2028 elections and distancing herself from her family seems to be the right decision so far. One thing remains certain from all of this, Marcos Jr. and Sarah's West-leaning government is very popular among the country. Thank you, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of Croc Time. Please leave a review and follow me wherever you get your podcasts, and I'll be back next time with more insightful research.